Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis, chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Genesis, chapter 17, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible at home and would like one, please feel free to take one um, from the pew back in front of you. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. When I was growing up, I really, 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 really wanted to become a Cub Scout. I really thought it was going to be cool to put on that uniform, to wear those patches, to have all those signs and everything sticking on me. It was going to make me important. All those things carried with them responsibilities that I didn't quite understand. But for me, just being able to bear those patches, to be able to bear those slogans, to be able to be seen that way was really kind of cool. And then as I moved out of elementary school into intermediate and then into high school, I got a privilege of becoming an EMT and I got to wear another uniform, a white shirt with patches and everything on it and stuff. That was really great for me. Those things helped me to understand, wow, there's something about just bearing this insignia, bearing this sign, bearing this uh, slogan, as it were, that marked me made me feel important, made me recognize that I'm part of something, and of course carried with it other responsibilities also. When we as believers think about all that we have in Christ, what we have is far greater in terms of the sign we bear and in terms of the responsibilities we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this text of Scripture today, and we ask, Lord, that you would give us your understanding and that we would leave here As Sebastian said earlier, Lord, transform people. We would have a deeper understanding of what it means to be in covenant relationship with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. If you have your Bibles open to Genesis 17. Genesis 17, we're in the middle of a long series. The series is being called, We Walk by Faith, or Walking by Faith. When you think about that phrase, at least for me, my mind goes to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where Paul actually uses that phrase. For we walk by faith and not by sight. So what does it actually mean? When you think about walking by faith, see if I can clarify that, bring a little bit of sense of what it, uh, practically what it means to understand that. For Paul, especially in that passage, I think he explains it quite well. It means that there are certain historical truths, 
For us, those historical truths are embodied in the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead, has been ascended into heaven to the right hand of God to be our high priest. Those things are historically true, absolutely certain. The gospel truths. And we believe in those things and trust those things to be true. And that affects us now. Secondly, we have even just as certain truths for the future. Those things in the future where we will have a resurrection body. We will be in the presence of God in heaven. Both of those aspects, the things in the past and the things in the future, are absolutely true. We believe those things to be true. And therefore, based on those truths, we can come back to Scripture knowing that God has spoken truth about the past and about the future, and say what God's understanding about life now, his perspective about life now is right. And as Paul says, we do not walk by sight. We do not trust, as Solomon says, in our own understanding. And we believe what Scripture says and take steps of obedience. That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. So our example in this series of sermons has been Abraham. What have we seen so far about Abraham? Well, we've seen already in chapter 12, he receives a series of promises that God gives to him. Promises that you can define by three words, seed, land, and blessing. God makes that or turns that, as it were, into a covenant in Genesis 15. So now his relationship is codified. His relationship is codified with God, with those promises, with a walk with God. And yet, as is so true of us, Abraham has rather a mixed bag with regard to faith. He has opportunities to believe and trust in God, and sometimes he does. Genesis 15, 6, obviously being the high point of that, where he trusts the promise of God with regard to a seed that they're going to be as, as multitudinous as the stars, and God says he counts that to him as righteousness. And there have been other aspects, other times where he has not done as well, as it were. So for us, the key thing that comes out of all of this stuff about Abraham as our example is to fall back upon the faithfulness of God. We sang about that this morning. Great understanding that it is he's, his faithfulness to us, his promises to us that he will always carry out. And a reminder over and over again in Abraham's life that God continually lifts him back up and causes him to uh, walk forward in faith. When we come to Genesis chapter 17, this is the theme I want you to think about today. This is the idea I want you to remember. This covenant relationship that we have with God, this covenant relationship we have with God, entails obedience and trust. Obedience and trust. Especially when it seems hard, especially when it seems like it's just difficult to understand. We've seen that several times, and in this chapter we're going to see it, as it were, again. You think about Genesis 17, obviously we're going to talk about uh, circumcision, and you think, wow, what an earthy topic. And yet this chapter is really deeply theological. This chapter actually has the longest speech of God in the book of Genesis. So this is actually the high point, as it were, of the explanation of this covenant relationship. And yet, look at what he's talking about with regard to that. So let's move in, and we're talking about what it means to specify, as it were, what faith is to believe. And we are also to see what our responsibilities are, what faith is to do. Okay? First thing, God relates to us in terms of covenant. When we think about that 
idea. Our relationship is to God is bound, as it were, to covenant. Let's look at this passage and see what some of the aspects of this are with regard to Abraham himself. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, excuse me, chapter 17, verse 2. The first thing we're going to talk about is the promises that God gives. And here the promises we're going to focus on, at least this morning, are the promises with regard to the seed. He says this, And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. He's never used that word exceedingly. In fact, he doubles it in Hebrew. Exceedingly, exceedingly. I'm going to multiply. You are going to be great. Their numbers of your descendants are going to be great. He goes on, verse 4. He says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. Notice that's at the beginning of the chapter. At the end of the chapter, he picks it up again. It's like he wants to hook back upon it, and he goes to talk about who Sarah is. Verse 16, same chapter, verse 16. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she, she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Verse uh, Excuse me, verse uh, 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you as this, at this season next year. So God promises again, as he's promised in Genesis chapter 12, as he's reiterated again in Genesis 15, now he reiterates again one more time. God is promising to him multiple seed. Not only is he explaining it, he's specifying it. He said there are going to be peoples that come from you. There are going to be kings that come from you. He says, I'm going to make you Fruitful, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. And so what does this mean? Why are we talking about numbers of people and peoples and kings? And we start to think, does this really mean there's just going to be a lot of Jews in the world? No, it doesn't. Because, see, this is God's redemptive plan. This is how God is seeking to save the world. So this is actually, as we see in Galatians chapter 3, this is what God is talking about in terms of saved people in the world. This is God's promise as it were, to see that there are going to be multiples and multiples of peoples and kings and others who are going to be saved individuals. And this is God's promise to Abraham, a reminder to him that it doesn't depend on him, it depends on God. God's going to provide this through Sarah, through Abraham. What a great promise this is. It reminds us, as it were, of Adam. Adam was given the same thing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the world with people who are your image, excuse me, are the image of God. And so God is now carrying this forward, this promise given to Abraham of the seed that he will multiply them and create in the world a whole bunch of individuals who are saved and who are faithful covenant followers, as it were, of God. He goes on and describes a second promise with regard to this relationship we have with him. Back in uh, verse 7, he says this, I will establish my covenant between you And between your descendants after you throughout their generations, notice he says, for an everlasting covenant. For a covenant that will be permanent, for a covenant that will carry all the way to the end of time and then beyond. This Abrahamic covenant, as it were, is the foundation of God's redemptive program. It never is pulled away. It's never backed off from. It's never reversed in any type of way. And notice how this covenant is described. He says this, to be God to you and to your descendants after you, to be God to you. Who is this God? Notice verse 1. 
I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Reminding Abraham of the power and the strength of God, that God is all-powerful, certainly can carry out these promises, certainly can be God to him. And that's what this relationship is for us, an everlasting covenant that we have also. We are a part of this Abrahamic covenant, as we'll see here at the end of what we talk about today. An everlasting covenant. And then thirdly, please notice that there are some status changes Some status changes, some character changes. Notice verse 5, he says this, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. And then in verse 15, God says to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. What do those name changes mean? In Scripture, a name change always talks about a different status, always talks about a character change. So for this new relationship that God is entering into, This covenant relationship with Abraham, Abraham is renamed. His status is uh, reestablished. His name is changed so that his character reflects, as it were, the promises that God has given to him. So not only does God relate to us in terms of covenant, but covenant often, point number two, brings with it responsibilities. Those responsibilities fulfilled, as it were, by God's grace given to us. Notice verse 2. Two, excuse me, verse 1 again. The very first statement that he says. Please think about Genesis 16 where actually in a sense there was a failure. A failure on his part to wait for God to fulfill the promise and we had the birth of Ishmael. And Abraham can wonder for himself, I wonder where my relationship with God is. And God says, walk before me and be blameless. That's his first responsibility. Walk before me and be blameless. The walking calls us to go back and think about Enoch, who didn't live, he walked with God. In that long list of Genesis 5, you have all these people bearing children, they lived and they died. Notice Enoch doesn't live. It's never never described that Enoch lived. He walked with God. His relationship with God was so different that his life was described that way. The relationship with God dominated his life. The same verb is used here. Same verb. Walk before me. Your relationship before me. The relationship is close before me. And I would like to change the translation here from the Nazbi. It says, and be blameless. I think there's actually a Hebrew way where you can say, walk before me in order that you may be blameless. And that puts us back, as it were, upon the faithfulness of God. You choose, as it were, to do this. You walk before me, and you will. The result of that will be blameless. You can have, as it were, this integrity, this wholeness. That word blameless causes us to think back to James, the series that we had before, about our integrity, about our fullness, about our wholeness as individuals. The responsibility, as it were, is to walk in relationship with God, a relationship of faith to God. And God, as it were, transforms us, changes us, so that we are actually able, as it were, to obey God and follow him. But it doesn't end there in this long passage. We have a second responsibility here in this passage and this is where we talk about circumcision verses 9 to 14 God says further to Abraham now as for you you shall keep my covenant you shall obey you shall carry out my covenant you and your descendants after you this is that covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you every male among you shall be circumcised and he goes on to describe all the way to verse 14 Not only males born into his family, not only 
those people, but people that he has purchased. Anybody within the realm of the Abrahamic family, the Abrahamic house, those males had to be circumcised. Notice verse 14, circumcision was important. The physical act is important. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has dissolved. He has broken. He has ruined my covenant. He describes this circumcision very nicely as a sign. As a sign. This obedience, therefore, for us, for him, for them, for the Jews, is to recognize I am a part of this covenant, I am willing to be a part of this covenant, and I am willing, as it were, to carry the mark of the covenant in my flesh, both as a reminder to me that this seed promise that God is making depends on him, doesn't depend on me, as well as a reminder that I am willing, I am desirous to be a part of this covenant with God. The responsibilities, therefore, walking before God in order that we might be perfect, as well as the sign that I bear in my flesh as a reminder that I am a part of this covenant, I bear a responsibility to that covenant, and it is a reminder to me daily. This seed promise is going to be God's promise to me. He's going to be carrying it out as he might use me, but he is ultimately the one that brings it to bear. So we are related to God by covenant. We have a relationship with the covenant. Our covenant also carries with it responsibilities. Thirdly, faith responds to this covenant. Faith responds and acts, as it were, in this covenant relationship. There are three things I want you to see here. In this long passage that we have here, where God is talking most of the time, we have Abraham actually acting and also speaking. Notice verse 3, way back at the beginning. God has said to him, walk before me, be blameless, establish my covenant between you. I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. Notice what it says. Abraham fell on his face. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, falling on his face. A prostrate and act of worship before God. As he recognizes all of the steps that he has made, the failures that he has had, God still is establishing his covenant with him, still is acting faithful to him. What a wonderful covenant God A covenant-keeping God he is. Putting, as it were, Abraham in that position. And Abraham recognizes, as it were, the greatness of God and recognizes, as John the Baptist would say, I must decrease, putting himself on the ground and worshiping before his God. Interestingly, he has another response. Verses 17 and 18. In the midst of all of this discussion, as it were, of circumcision, Abraham fell on his face, and notice what it says, and he laughed. And said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Oh, that Ishmael might be before thee, he says in verse 18. So he's said the same thing about Eliezer in verse 15, and God has said no. He struggled, as it were, in verse 16, following the plan of Sarah and Hagar. And God said no with regard to Ishmael, as he says below here. And he says here again, oh, that Ishmael himself might live. He's struggling a bit with this thing. And yet, it's very interesting. Why is it interesting? Please turn in your Bibles real quickly to Romans chapter 4. I want to read a verse to you that I think is interesting because when we think about this passage right here, we tend to think, well, here's another failure, as it were, on Abraham's part. Notice what the Apostle Paul says about Abraham's faith. So we're talking about the seed promise, verse 18. 
that he's going to be a father of many nations. And notice verse 19, it says, without becoming weak in faith. Without becoming weak in faith. He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. So this is what we're talking about, right here in this passage. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. So what do we say about this? How do we describe what Abraham's response is here? Is it an act of unbelief or is it act more of surprise? Is it an act like Jeremiah 32 where God says to Jeremiah, I want you to go purchase some land in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah says, why? You're going to send us all away. Why would I purchase some land? And God comes back and reminds him, I am the one who is almighty. I am the one who can do anything I promise and I promise to bring you back. I think this is an act of surprise, an act of wonder. How is God going to actually do this? Maybe, as it were, an amazing statement about Ishmael, but here I believe Abraham is actually acting in surprise and potentially joy at recognizing God is going to do something great. I'd like it to be Ishmael. Maybe God is going to do something different. And then lastly, the end of the chapter, verses 26 and 27 Please notice, in the very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, 99-year-old man, 13-year-old boy, and all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. God is specifically stating over and over again, 22 to 27, how many times they obeyed. They all took steps of obedience. To do what? To put this sign, to carry this sign of the covenant, to bind themselves, as it were, in covenant relationship, to be in obedience to God, even though it sort of seems kind of funny, even though it's hard to understand what exactly this, he's going to do it. He takes the steps to do it. So what did we say we're talking about here? A covenant relationship with God entails obedience and trust on our part, even if we don't understand, even if it seems difficult. So what does this mean for us today? Well, covenant, excuse me, circumcision is the sign of of this Abrahamic covenant. It is a sign that actually indicates to people that they are Jewish people. Please understand, with all of our talking about spiritual realities, and even with Paul talking about circumcision of the heart in Romans chapter 2, you fail to carry out this physical act according to this chapter, you will be cut off from the nation. So the physical act as well as the spiritual reality are important. Both are important. The aspect of faith as well as the obedience of the physical act. For us, as we think about the gospel, for us, as we think about the new covenant that we are a part of, is there a sign that God has given to us, something that, as it were, seals us as a part of the new covenant? Yes, and that sign would be the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13 and 4.30, Paul describes for us that the Spirit of God is the seal. He is the one that actually aligns us so we know whom we are a part of. We know who is the authority in our life. We know that we are really bound to him and we have security. Security. That we will not be lost. He has marked us. Marked us with his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit also reminds us that we are to obey. Secondly, the covenant Here is the Abrahamic covenant. And as I said earlier, we are a part of that because the gospel has united us with Christ. 
Because we have trusted in Christ and placed our faith in him. He is the Messiah. We are then bound, as it were, to Abraham. We become Abraham's sons and heirs to the promises of this covenant, according to Galatians 3, 6-9 and 26-29. But there's an even greater covenant, a covenant that opens up what it means to be the blessing that he is talking about and to be blessed. And that covenant is what? That's the new covenant. That's the one that we think of, that we're a part of. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, talk about all of the blessings that we have in the covenant, all of the promises that are ours. There are three that I want to point out to you. Number one, all of our sins are forgiven in Christ. To really understand the depth of what that means, it's just profound. To recognize that all of our rebellion and all of our sin and all of our folly And all of the transgressions that we have committed against God and against his word because of the death and resurrection of Christ are forgiven. Our debt is gone. That's the promise of the gospel for us. Secondly, he's given us a new heart. This is where circumcision comes back in. We think about Jeremiah 4.4 or Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, excuse me. And then 10.16, he talks about a circumcised heart. At one point, God says, circumcise your heart. At another point, he says, I have circumcised your heart. What does that mean? The heart is now useful for obedience. The heart is now committed, as it were. Committed, as it were, to obeying the covenant relationship that God has put us in. And that's the heart that we've been given. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And then thirdly, again, the reminder that the Spirit of God indwells us, that we are his temple. We are his temple. The Spirit of God indwells us. He's baptized us. He seals us. He empowers us. He illumines us. And the Spirit of God, as I love to say, is the shy one of the Trinity. Because, you see, he doesn't say over here, look at me, look at me, look at me. Praise me, praise me, praise me. The Spirit of God says, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Elevate him. Magnify him. Thirdly, faith means response. It always means response. Yes, it is an open-handed trust in God, a receiving, as it were, of the gifts of grace that God has given to us, this relationship, this union with Christ. But notice how Abraham responded right there at the beginning of the chapter, one of worship for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, after all of the blessings of salvation from Romans 1 through 11, therefore, therefore, We are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So worship is not just the 20 minutes, 30 minutes before the sermon. Worship is a 24-7 response on our part to the gifts of God's grace to us. It is a presenting, as it were, of ourselves to him. That's what faith requires. That's what faith demands. As we trust in him and enter into that relationship, we give of ourselves, of our time, all that we are to him as a living sacrifice. To walk, as it were, in new thinking people. Not being bound, as it were, by the thinking of the world, but by the thinking of Scripture. And secondly, 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, The grace of God that came to me allowed me, as it were, to work more than them all. I didn't receive the grace of God emptily. I didn't receive the grace of God, as it were, and say, okay, good. Now I don't have to do anything. I'm just happy. I'm saved. I can No. 
We work, we obey. We follow what God has said to us in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. We obey his commands. We involve ourselves in the program that God has called us all to do, both corporately and individually, to glorify and honor him and to point as many people as we can to that same gospel, to that same Christ. So as a young man, I really wanted to be a Cub Scout. And then as I moved on from that, I became that EMT, and I bore that shirt. I bore those patches. I bore those signs. The same thing is true for us. We have a sign. And that sign is a big, as it were, dove on our chest, pointing us back to Pentecost, pointing us back to the Spirit of God and saying, as we go out into the world, I am a Christian. I am a Spirit-led individual. And I have the privilege of what? Knowing God Almighty being in relationship with him, and I would love you to know him too. The Spirit of God points us to what? He wants us to see Christ, and he wants us to bear Christ-like fruit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder from this passage of just how important it is to have a relationship with you, this covenant relationship. I praise you, Father, that that entails for us obedience and trusting in you, Even if we don't understand, even if we find things to be a bit difficult, Father, you give us the privilege and the joy. Take us away from here, Father, with the, with the, not just an impression, with the great desire to obey, to follow you, to believe and trust in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.